I'm Eric Bricker, and I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. One thing I can tell you for certain is that no one makes it through life unscathed. At some point, many of us will rely on the trusted counsel of another person to help us navigate difficult times or to reconcile the troubled past. Whether conventional or unconventional, professional or informal, there are a lot of different forms that helping relationships can take. This podcast is an exploration into what makes these relationships work. Who are the people that help us? How do they help us? And what do people need help with? My hope is to uncover as much as I can about this very human phenomenon, and I hope that you'll join me. This is the Good Counsel Podcast. I'm Eric Bricker, and this is the Good Counsel Podcast. This morning, I am joined by Heather Berg of Soul Garden Yoga. Heather is a certified yoga instructor, a certified meditation instructor, and an internationally certified instructor in the Bateko breathing technique. Heather and I have some mutual friends in common, and we became acquainted in the last couple of years. I got to know a little bit more about your work when you did an in-service here at the office where I practice. There are a bunch of other therapists here. And you did a demonstration of the Bateko breathing technique for us. And that was really, really cool and kind of interesting. I hadn't seen that before. And from that time, I always kind of had in the back of my mind that maybe you would come here and join us. And since I found out about some of the other really interesting and cool things that you're involved with. So I'm glad that you were able to make the time to come in here and talk to me and whoever else is listening to this a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that you're doing. Wonderful. I'm so glad to be here. All right. Thank you. So I guess the first question on my mind is, how does one come to know so much about breathing? <laughs> well, all of us do it from the moment we're born, right? Until we're no longer uh, on, on the earth. You know, listen, in, in yoga, pranayama, breath work, is one eighth of the practice. And so because I've been practicing yoga for a very long time, since 1991, I've always really used the breath for my yoga practice, for teaching, for meditation. And then in 2020, James Nestor wrote the book Breath. He, he's an investigative journalist, and he did this deep dive into all different types of breathwork modalities, holotropic, tumo breathing, uh, transformational breath, pranayama. And he talked. He was in different focus groups, but he brought up and he wrote about the Buteco breathing method, which is what you were talking about, where I came and did a presentation for your whole group here. And the Buteco breathing method is all about functional breathing for optimal health. And it's not just physical health, but it's mental health as well. Hence my reason for coming in and sharing it. And so at this point, you know, without me, unless you'd like me to dive deeper into it, but basically, like I said, it's about functional breathing. It's about bringing our nervous system to a place of balance. Uh, we are a society uh, where we are overstimulated, overstressed. I'm sure you have many patients that can you can attest to this. And so the breath work that I teach, not only to my students and my clients, but I like to share with therapists so that they 
themselves can use it, but then they can, then you can share it with your clients so that you can help your patients come to a place of calm even before you start working with them. So it's really about functional everyday breathing. And now it's kind of one of those things, the more you, now you know it, I always know it. That's not the term. It's like the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And at the same time, once you know it, you can't unknow it. And so one of the things with the Buteco breathing method is that it's really, really important to breathe through your nose. And of course, unless you're talking and you're or you're eating or you're singing or you're swimming, of course, the mouth is then the backup system. But if you yourself or you have patients who are mouth breathers, the first thing you need to do is make sure they're breathing through their nose. And there's this cascade of health benefits. Attention is better better oxygen uptake, better sleep. I mean, go on and on and on. So not sure if I answered your question, but it's kind of, it permeates into everything that I do now. It's like, I can't go into a yoga class and not incorporate the importance of breathing. And the same thing with meditation and the same thing with stress management that I work with, with a lot of people. To me, it all, the, the breath is the foundation. It's really interesting. I'm not a yoga practitioner. I would say I've done more mindfulness. I've had formal training in mindfulness. I've been trained by uh, an instructor and I've done transcendental meditation. I took the, the course for that as well. And I practice somewhat, but I found even from that sort of basic introduction and the stuff I sat in that, that you facilitated, mm -hmm. There's a thing that happens when you focus on the idea of breath, right? Even if you're not a regular breathwork practitioner, there's a thing that happens during moments of anxiety when you can just think about this autonomic process, this automatic process, this involuntary thing that I do. And if I think about it, my attention goes to it. And the moment I slow down or hold my breath for a second or focus on breathing through my nose or any of these things, it sort of slows down the moment just a little bit. And this is happening when you're sitting in traffic or you know, frustrated by some kind of interaction that's upsetting you. Any, any one of these things, for me personally, I noticed just think about breathing first and that kind of tempers down the intensity of whatever experience you're having by like 20%. Exactly. I mean, the breath automatically, when you pay attention to it or shape it or manipulate it in some way, brings you into the present moment. You know, even if I asked you right now to slowly inhale through your nose and notice where in your body you feel it the most, wherever that may be, there's no right or wrong answer, the nostrils, the back of the throat, the abdomen, the chest, wherever, just Focusing on some sort of quality of the breath brings you into the present moment. And that's what mindfulness is, right? So, you know, you're, you know, I love when people meet me and they say, you know, I don't really have a, a yoga practice, but I practice mindfulness, I practice meditation. It's like, well, that is part of yoga. Because yoga actually, you know, the physical part of yoga, which is probably what you're talking about, is one eighth of what 
yoga is. And meditation is a part of yoga as well. And so you can actually say you are a yoga practitioner because you practice mindfulness and or meditation, which can be kind of combined. I kind of feel like if you can't do some pretzel stuff with your body, you really shouldn't be calling yourself a yoga practitioner. Well, you're wrong because I cannot put myself in a pretzel position or I choose not to because it doesn't feel good in my body. That's the problem, how I really believe, and I'm not the only yoga teacher who believes this, and unfortunately, social media and whatever really has shed not the greatest of light on what yoga really is. They're just showing a, a certain particular type of person in a particular shape that can that looks sexy because that sells. And unfortunately, that's not really what it is. I guess I'm thinking that if you're a yoga practitioner, you're probably more flexible than like most regular people. Are you talking physical or mentally flexible? Uh, definitely physical. Okay. Well, yes, there. Yes, if I if you practice the physical part of yoga on a regular basis, yes, the hope is to have not only more flexibility, but to have more strength, more stability, and you know, cascade of other you know physical uh, benefits, but. Like I was saying, it's so important for people to know that there's so much more to it than that. It's about morals. It's about mindset. It's about breath. It's about being mindful, meditating. That's a lot. It is a lot. It's evident that your activities civically and socially, that there's this kind of ethic to it of translating these principles to yoga into social consciousness and involvement with people and making the world a better place and, and all of these kinds of altruistic designs. And I know that you're involved recently with a new not-for-profit organization. Carita Smile. And that you're going to economically depressed areas where they people probably don't have access to instructors of your caliber and making these activities available to them so that they could bring that practice into their daily lifestyle and, you know, make improvements to themselves and who now, who else knows, right? Like maybe it in some way does something positive for the community itself. So that sounds like a pretty cool endeavor. I know that's a, a recent thing for you. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'd love to. So the company, the organization, like you said, Carita Smile. I just want to share that a mutual friend of ours, uh, Laura Reese, introduced me to the woman who organizes the, who is, I guess, the the founder of Carita Smile. They met um, at a, a public speaking course. And when they met each other, Laura came back and said to me, oh, Heather, you need to meet this woman. Her name is Sixia Divine. She is Dominican. She was, I believe she was actually born in the United States, raised in Rhode Island. However, her family uh, was from 
the Dominican Republic. And she, when she was a child and teenager and older, she always went back and to visit and just, you know, saw how they live there. And I know at this point in her life, she really wants to give back. And what she has created is this, it's a travel organization. It's a travel of service. And so what she does is she interviews people to go on these trips of service and she organizes every single day. At some point, we do acts of kindness or some sort of service project where we could help build a house or help fix a school. I know one school needed a bathroom, so materials, um, money was raised to um, have the materials to build a new bathroom for the schools. And then when people are interviewed to go on these trips of service, there were last time when I just went to the Dominican Republic, we there, I think there was like 12 of us. And what we did is every day we did some sort of act of service. Now, I was there not only to do these acts of service, but then I was also there with another yoga teacher, a Dominican woman, her beautiful woman who we collaborated. And together every morning, we would offer yoga and meditation to the people on the trips, the people who were actually, you know, volunteering. And so we would start the day out with an intention. We would start the day out where we're going to move our body very gently, be kind to ourselves. It's that idea that we have to fill our own cups before we give to others. And so we would start the day, have yoga, meditation, always incorporate the breath work, of course. And then we would go about, do these acts of service, and then maybe in between, we would realize, oh my gosh, we're in this beautiful area in the mountains. I would get everyone together, let's close our eyes and take a moment and just have a mindful experience, right? Maybe go through our senses and what do we smell? What do we hear? What do we feel, etc. So I was there as yoga mindfulness teacher. That's how I was brought in as the, I believe the slogan that, that she has, Sixia, is um, take a trip and change a life. And so what is really interesting is I thought, you know, it's like, okay, we're changing these people's lives because we're coming with donations. We're coming to help rebuild a house and home. But it's really our lives, the volunteers' lives. Unbelievable how, yes, it, yes we are changing their lives in some way that we are giving them things that maybe they need to help keep rain out of their homes. But just seeing the gratitude on those people's faces, it's so hard to put into words, but it really was life-changing for every one of us who went on the trip. It really was. I I know this coming, I just want to share with everyone listening, Carita Smiles, um, the woman, Sixia Divine, used to live in Boca Raton. I don't remember how many years ago, but she does live uh, in Providence, Rhode Island. But there were quite a few of us here in Boca Raton who just went on that trip in January. And she has more trips coming up. And we've been posting pictures on social media, etc. And I know a lot of people who know Laura Reese of Kindness Matters, um, a lot of my students, family, friends, and other people who went on the trip, 
people are really intrigued by what they saw with the pictures. I was teaching yoga to this beautiful group of kids at a school. It was really great just teaching them how to breathe. And I don't know how to really speak Spanish, you know. And because of this, we decided we're trying to raise more money for this uh, organization. And so on March 2nd, there's actually going to be a fundraising event uh, in Delray. Where, where are you doing that? It's at Hawkers, which is on Atlantic Avenue. I know it's out, it's east towards the water, and it's on March 2nd from 4 to 7. And um, I'll be able to post links on my site and stuff like that, you know, how to buy tickets. And there's raffle tickets. And I know one of the raffles is actually to attend one of these trips pending the interview because everyone does need to be interviewed because this trip is not for everyone. It's not glamorous in terms of, you know, comfort levels. And people have to understand that and people have to understand what you are going to witness and what you're going to see. And Sixia really makes sure that when she interviews people that they understand that. Yeah, you could get the wrong idea about a trip to the Dominican. Yes, it's it's not Club Med. But honestly, honestly, it really fed my soul much more. Nothing wrong with Club Med, but it definitely fed my soul more than any Club Med could. Sure. For sure. Well, it's all about what you're looking for. It's interesting to me, as you're talking, I was thinking to myself that a lot of what you were doing there, your purpose for being there, was really to help set intention among the volunteers and to kind of create a mindset and sort of like a shared ethic among these people to kind of prep them for days of volunteering right. with these people. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if starting your days out like that, it probably has a huge impact on the way that you're approaching the work. Absolutely. And I mean, I can, I think about, I, I personally have a daily practice. I mean, that, and that practice includes stretching my body, moving my body a little bit, doing a little bit of breath work. I meditate and I kind of have an intention. How do I want to go into my day? Depending on whatever, however my body is feeling or what's going on. And I know the days that I miss it or I'm rushed through it for whatever reason, it really spills into my day. And so I know personally what it feels like to set an intention for the day. And so when I lead retreats, like I did on the this trip to the Dominican Republic, and when I re lead retreats anywhere, and when people don't normally have a daily practice, and then they're with me for three days, five days, a week, whatever it is, and we do that every morning, it's life-changing. You go into the day differently. I mean, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but I know for myself, even when I go on a retreat for to treat myself, right? I go on silent retreats once a year for myself. And it's it's really unbelievable when you create habits and you set the intention. I want to move into the day with with patience because patience, not 
clients, but with patience, right? Because you know you've been impatient lately. You know you're going to be working with people who might push your buttons or whatever it is. It's holiday time. You're going to be surrounded by family. Today, my intention is to be patient with everyone who is around me, whatever it is. I mean, it sounds almost like corny, but it really makes a difference. You want to hear about my my daily morning practice? Let me it's, hear. Let me hear what your practice is. It's a little different than yours. Okay. So nighttime, like sleep, is often where the subconscious kind of unleashes the wilderness of horrors onto a person's psyche. It's where all your darkest stuff comes out, where we dream. And sometimes those are good things and sometimes, very oftentimes, they're not. And if you ever talk to people who are profoundly depressed or anxious or have emotional difficulties, the mornings are often the worst. This is where we, uh, this is often where you're almost the most symptomatic. If you're depressed, you're going to feel it when you wake up out of bed. And that's the whole, like, I couldn't get out of bed this morning. That's what that is. It's all of your defenses were at rest and your your mind just got attacked by all of these thoughts and ideas and this overwhelming negative energy that's now like radiating through your body. So what I like to say about that is nighttime is when your brain brings all of its garbage out to the street. And so I like to go through a vision, whatever the thoughts are for myself, whatever I woke up with with that day, I always go through a visual imagery of carrying these ideas out to the street like they're in garbage bags and setting them at the end of the driveway and imagining that there's this truck, a very special truck that comes <laughs> and like cleans up all the garbage. And, you know, in my mind, someone different is driving it on different, like some days it's Morgan Freeman that's coming and, you know, it's like pick, picking that up for you, you know. Is he waving to you? Is, well, say something in that voice. There's a lot of garbage out there today, Eric. Yeah, you know, or it could be anyone or like Joe Rogan, you know, or some any of these different people that they've come and, you know, they're driving the truck that day. And uh, I try to think of it that way and I try to visualize the truck like driving off into the distance until it's out of sight. And then that's my cue to get up and go. It's a little different. But it's but listen, it's it's something you've created this practice for yourself. I've and, definitely created it. And and if it works for you and it allows you to get up out of bed and not carry that heavy load of mental, I like to call it stuff. Can I curse on here? You can. Oh, okay. Of like shit and stuff. Stuff, right? Like it just allow. then do it. You know, that's what works for you. There's no one way to do it. I think creativity is really sort of the cornerstone of all practice. You, you learn from an instructor and there are certain things that have to be done purely because in order to do them correctly, you have to do them the way you're taught. And then there's the rest of it, which is what you come up with on your own to make it yours. And that's where I get into these ideas and incorporate that into therapy. And I try to get people I work with to do similar things because it's kind of like whatever is working for you. That's what we want to lean into. And you don't really need to ask a lot of questions about like why or any of that. It's like the whole mindfulness thing. Like don't, right. don't ask too many questions. Just be in the thing and realize that it's working and that this is good. So I got the idea. Actually, it came out of uh, the movie Ocean's Eleven. And it was, there's this one point where Brad Pitt sees 
George Clooney. And I, they're partners in crime, mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And apparently they hadn't worked together in a while. So they're running into each other and say, hey, how you doing? And he said, you, you still suicidal? <laughs> and George Clooney responds back to him. He said, well, only in the morning. And I thought about that for a minute. That's so wild. Is that something that a lot of other people have that they feel just terrible when they wake up in the morning and found out? Yeah, that's when it's the worst for everybody. Anyone who suffers like depression or anxiety, they just get um, pummeled. Well, I think they need to incorporate your idea, number one, of taking the garbage out the night before. Yeah. And number two, I'm going to just throw this in here that believe it or not, if you sleep with your mouth open all night, in other words, if you breathe through your mouth all night, you're not getting the best oxygen absorption. And so you can wake up feeling exhausted, just feeling like you were hit like a tr- hit by a truck. Um, it creates inflammation. I mean, there's a cascade of scientific evidence that mouth breathing, and so I say at night just basically because you're doing it for what? Anywhere from four to eight hours in a row. So I need to add that if you're waking up feeling like just horrible, one of the things to think about is to work with someone work trying to make sure your mouth is closed at night. I know it's and and you people may have seen it. I don't know if you have the whole thing with the mouth taping which is controversial in its own right, but I sleep with my mouth taped all night and I work with people to do that and it's life-changing. I think that there are certain people who should tape their mouth closed during the day. <laughs> I would <laughs> well, like to Well, I can't I can't uh take I would part like, in that one, but I would like to incorporate that All into right. some people's lives. Yeah, no, I get it. I uh I actually have a device that I put in my mouth. It's a guard because I I will grind my oh, teeth. Oh, the grinding, yeah. And it almost it almost makes you sleep with your mouth closed because it's it, like the minute you put something in your mouth, you're kind of like biting on it you know you can't help it right like a boxer's mouth guard or athlete's mouth guard it's just in there no i get it i think i think breathing through the nose is kind of uh central to all things Uh, any kind of exercise stuff at the gym right um it starts going awry when your mouth is open you can usually tell if you're doing it because your mouth will get dry right exactly and you really notice it when you live in an area that's um cold because i mean here in south florida when you wake up like the past few days it's been awesome really nice and chilly i'm using air quotes chilly but if you breathe with your mouth open you feel it that's when you really you could just feel the drying out you could feel it's in and it's not healthy so just just because you're not noticing it, it's cumulative and over time. So I don't know. I, I know we got off topic there or I got us off topic, but you were talking about how people waking up just feeling depressed and mindset, as I'm sure you work with a lot of your clients. I mean, it's more to it than just mindset. I get it. But it's creating habits for yourself. Anything that you take that's useful is useful. So if you happen to be listening to this and you'd never given any thought at all to whether you're breathing out of your nose or your mouth overnight, and now you're conscious of that for the first time, that that might have something to do with something about the impact of the experience of sleep and how you wake up feeling in the morning. I feel like a person would be more conscious of it and at least be thinking about this. 
and then there's tape and devices or and whatever else. And if they're else. not conscious of it of themselves, they'll be conscious of other people. That's for sure. Sure. So wherever you hear it, there's a lot of pathways to improve whatever it is that's going on with people. And I think it's about being open and hearing a lot of different ideas. Because, you know, part of what's interesting about all of it is yoga practice and these ideas, they're, they're very oh, old. Definitely. It's like, you know, there's a controversy of when it really began, but four or 5,000 years old. I mean, it's what, what's the controversy? You know, what just because of when the exact date was and where it really started. And honestly, I mean, at least for me, does it really matter exactly? I mean, in terms of what I'm trying to teach, let's just say it's a very ancient practice. Um, there's, yes, a lot of it has to kind of change with the times for sure. Um, even talking about the physical practice, it was a lot of young Indian boys who were practicing and, and, and putting their bodies into pretzels and stuff like that. And our bodies are different. Not only young boys are practicing, you know, so that we have to change with the times. Um, you know, and then there's just so many, there's so much more science now. There's so much scientific evidence that we can take what we've learned or what we've um, learned from 4,000 years ago and now bring in what James Nestor has written about in his book. He's collected all this scientific evidence about the breath, let's say, and bring that into the practice. There's mindfulness, meditation, so much scientific evidence and how it changes the gray matter in our brain. You know, instead of just saying, oh, yes, the ancient Indians said this is good for us, but a lot of people want to know why. And so I think having all of this scientific evidence today, it's, it's great. When we were doing the Pateco breathing training with you, I was introduced to a term that I hadn't considered before. I hadn't heard it before, or I hadn't heard it stated quite this way, was the idea of air hunger. Oh, And yeah. that that was actually part of the practice. And I recognized that that sort of expelling of air and then holding that for a period of time, as long as you can, is part of other breathing exercises and it has like a really interesting impact that it's almost like a reset that it does i remember you had explained what the point of that was and what's happening when you breathe out and then you kind of hold that for a moment until you breathe in again what's the purpose what happens there so let me start at the beginning so i like to explain it like this to people we inhale oxygen and we exhale carbon dioxide We all know that. And what I remember thinking or learning, I probably learned it somewhere, heard it somewhere, is that CO2, carbon dioxide, is bad. We need to exhale as much of that as possible. It's not good. Get it out of our body. But there's something called the Bohr effect, B-O-H-R, that was discovered in 1904 by Christian Bohr. And in layman's terms, basically the Bohr effect is is that we need a certain amount of that CO2. We need some of that carbon dioxide in our system in order for the oxygen that we're inhaling to absorb efficiently. 
So let me kind of describe what that means. So I always like to use the example of someone who suffers from panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and they, the very, what you would think having, uh, they're hyperventilating and they're breathing quickly and they're in and out, in and out, they're breathing in the upper chest. And then some of the, I guess, side effects that someone who's having a panic attack might feel, they might feel the heart, feel like they're having a heart attack, they might get uh, migraines, they might get super bad tension in their neck, they might feel like their arms and fingers are tingly, they might feel like they're about to vomit, or they may even vomit, right? Am I missing something? But you, you get the idea, right? There are these side effects from having a panic attack, from the hyperventilation. And that's what these side effects are really from, from exhaling too much CO2. And so what we need is if we slow the breathing down, try to make the volume of the breath smaller, meaning we try not to inhale too big and we try not to exhale too much, we're trying to keep almost build up that CO2 that you're talking about. We're trying to build that up so that the oxygen can more efficiently go to our heart and calm it down, to go to our brain, stop the headache, go to our all the cells in our body so we don't feel like we're crawling out of our skin. And so it's that what happens is I do an exercise, what you're talking about. I had everyone breathe. I think it was the feather breathing. It may have been that exercise that we did, that we breathe super lightly in the nose and out the nose and trying not to exhale too much. And we're trying to build up the CO2. And I say, I always say, you know, you're doing the breath work correctly if you're feeling an air hunger, you're feeling like, I want to take a bigger inhale. And all that is, is the buildup of CO2, which is good because then you know that the oxygen is absorbing more efficiently into your system and many or all of those symptoms can subside. Is that making sense? Yeah, it's interesting. I go back to thinking about movies that I've seen that were made like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And there was always that scene where the person would be hyperventilating and they would give them a paper And that's bag. what they're doing. They're basically trying to keep having them almost inhale the CO2 because they don't want them to exhale too much of it. That's basically what they're doing. I never thought of that until just now. Right. That's probably what the purpose of the paper bag was in I those know, movies. I know, it's crazy. And there's actually a form of one of the exercises of the Buteco breathing method. I know we're not doing a video, but imagine I'm cupping my hands over my nose and my mouth. And if you breathe super slowly, a slow, small inhale, slow, small exhale, it's like, yeah, when we exhale that CO2, but I'm cupping it kind of like the brown paper bag idea. So that what we're doing is we're allowing the oxygen to move and absorb more efficiently into our system. I mean, there's more science behind it. I'm just trying not to go into the hemoglobin and blah, blah, blah. But I do the breathwork exercise with people and 
I work with them to make sure they're not exhaling too much. It stimulates that part of our nervous system, the parasympathetic part of the nervous system, and they feel it immediately. When we have more CO2 in our system and we're slowing the breath down, it stimulates more of that parasympathetic nervous system. And even the way we're breathe, when you breathe through your nose, it stimulates your diaphragm more efficiently, which then in turn stimulates the vagus nerve. I mean, it's this whole cascade that this type of breath work that I did with you guys, it just, you could drop in and just feel the shift immediately. What do you think about Wim Hof breathing? So the first thing I need to say, as I was never trained in it. I have practiced it many times. This is what I believe. This is my thought. My feeling is if you are interested in it, you definitely 100% should work with someone one-on-one -on -one in person because it is a type of breath work that on purpose stimulates the sympathetic part of your nervous system on purpose. And then it works on other things. But the point is, if you are someone who suffers from anxiety and panic and you just walk into a class where someone is teaching the Wim Hof and you are hyperventilating and you're already, your sympathetic uh, part of your nervous system is already stimulated and you stimulate it more, you potentially could really traumatize someone. So it is one of those breathwork exercises, which I have done, and I really enjoy it, but I've worked with someone one-on-one. -on -one. So I don't really want to say it's good or it's bad. It's not for everyone because of the way it can really overstimulate your sympathetic part of your nervous system. However, if you are going to work with someone who is trained and you work with them individually or in a very small group, go for it. But don't just go online, read about it and try it on your own. Okay, so let's do a little public <laughs> service announcement for anybody who's listening to this. We don't want to go from having an anxiety disorder to maybe checking out the Wim Hof technique on exactly. YouTube and giving it a shot at home uninstructed. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunities for that to work out yeah. not well and maybe start with right. something small, a little feather breathing, something that's a little bit more manageable before we just completely stimulate the sympathetic nervous system and re-traumatize ourselves. And I feel that way with a lot of other breath work modalities as well. I mean, I realized that I would walk in and teach a yoga class. I always incorporate breath work, whether it's a balanced breath, inhale four, exhale four, or box breathing or alternate nostril breathing. But there were many times where I would walk in and I used to teach at a big gym and there would be 50, 60, 70 people in a class. And I would often, because I wanted to really get people's energy up, I would do breath of fire. I would never do that anymore. 
because breath of fire, which I think is a wonderful breathwork modality, if you're not uh, familiar with it, Eric, it's like sharp exhales through your nose and fast. It's, (laughs) and it's really gets your energy up. Just by the title, I feel like it would be something that would involve like a lot of garlic. (laughs) It's not something else. No garlic, no garlic involved. Can we stop and and go back a little bit? There's something called ultimate nostril breathing. Alternate, alternate. Alternate. Oh, I apologize if I wasn't clear. I'm sure you were. Alternate nostril breathing. I'd like to call it ultimate nostril breathing now. I feel like that would be great. But you know, I, even my teaching has changed with more science that has come out because, because of how delicate our nervous systems are and how easily just reading the news and knowing what's going on or driving on 95 here can really stimulate our sympathetic nervous system. This is me personally. I find it negligent to go in to a large class and do a sympathetic activating breath work with a large group of people where you are, don't know what is going on in their life. You don't know um, what's going on emotionally. You don't know how their sleep has been. You don't, you don't know what trauma they have been through in their life, etc. Whereas if you're doing a more neutralizing or down-regulating breath work, that is definitely safe to do with people. This is really fascinating. And for me, probably the most comprehensive, definitely the most comprehensive, incredible explanation that I've ever gotten on the whole science of breathing and breath work. Right. And all that. I've participated in things that were pretty novice right. level, meant for regular folks that maybe weren't experienced practitioners. Like even your training for us on the Bateko mm-hmm. technique was pretty easy to gather and pretty easy to demonstrate for somebody else and some of the other things that have done in mindfulness. But it's really fascinating because I never thought about the idea of some of the advanced breath work, the Wim Hof method, the mm-hmm. fire breathing that you described, how the increase in carbon dioxide in the blood will stimulate the sympathetic nervous system and really cause this intense arousal, which is the opposite, I think, of what most people would think breath work accomplishes, which is to relax and calm, which I'm sure is ultimately the end goal, but you're going through this other experience first. And if you don't see that coming- Right, it can be depending on what is going on in your physiology. That's the part we have to remember is that we are all individuals and we can't make these assumptions as instructors that, okay, this works for me, so it's going to work for everyone else. I actually know more than one person who had a freakout episode during some breathwork part of a seminar or a retreat, yeah. you know, where they brought in someone to do breathwork and they were doing it on an advanced level. So, and this kind of followed other activities in the treat where they're doing therapeutic activities, maybe some trauma right. uncovering work, and then, okay, now the breathwork person is here. 
And I had a good friend who was attending a retreat like that and had pretty much a full freak out that he said was reminiscent of a psychedelic experience that had gone a little bit sideways, essentially like a bad trip, and that it was that intense right. for and him. The, the good thing that I hear about that, though, is thankfully there were therapists there because this was a therapeutic retreat. So I, too, have been where people kind of have freaked out, but there were no therapists there. It was just a breath, I don't want to say just, it was a breathwork facilitator, and many of them might be qualified to help, but I'm just saying, I, I think people really need to be aware if breathwork is interesting for them, which I find it really intriguing and phenomenal, but to ask questions, because if it's going to be a stimulating one and it potentially could bring up emotions and trauma, which can be wonderful and useful, but you want to make sure that the people who are facilitating it or maybe co-facilitating it are therapists or are qualified to help support you if you freak out. Yeah, that would be a terrible experience if you were at a retreat and it was a little bit of a hodgepodge put together of different things. So you go and you do this intense breathing work. The sympathetic nervous systems are, are stimulated. Someone goes into a full freak out and we're going to go from there. It's like, all right, guys, we're going to go on the four wheelers now. <laughs> you know, that, would that would be just, really bad. Be like a disaster. Right, really bad. Really bad. And so, you know, I mean, and because I'm not trained in those types of breathwork, circular breathing, holyotropic, Wim Hof, there are various names and variations to them. Um, I myself have practiced them in groups with teachers, but I don't personally teach it. I really, because I think we are a society that is so overstimulated that the practices that I teach are more about down regulation, balance, balancing nervous system and down regulation. I think that's good. I think that's probably in a therapeutic sense, what the expectations of people participating in some kind of psychotherapeutic, uh, like right. the trauma workshops that we were doing, or these types of retreats uh, for mindfulness among practitioners or psychotherapy, right. you know, practitioners, or even when we're working with people who are trying to utilize these retreats as a means of overcoming the experience of, of past trauma, that would probably be the expectation and the more therapeutic use of the tool to downregulate, you know, for someone who maybe had become overstimulated. In right. The process. But I must say, like I said, I have been to some breathworks where the person who ran it was a therapist. So, and she did an amazing job holding space, setting the expectations. This is what may happen. And if it does, please do X, Y, and Z, and I will be here to help you. That's the upside because setting an expectation that something like this could happen and it might be part of the experience immediately takes away from the panic of, oh, wow, something just went horribly wrong and I don't know what's happening to me. So if you have the expectation that's a possibility, you might become overstimulated. It might get a little scary for you. And here's what we're going to do on the back end of that to kind of help you become grounded and to regulate and all that it probably makes that part of it a lot easier than just jumping in 
thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be some cool thing that we're doing. And then all of a sudden, finally right. panicking. Any and clue why this is happening? Operating under the assumption that you're the only one who's having the right. experience. That would be yeah. terrible. Yeah. Hopefully that has not happened to any of our listeners. I'm sure it has. <laughs> I'm telling you, like it, it's it's happened to uh, a couple of friends of mine, and even to this day, up until right now, I didn't really have a clear understanding of why that would have been until you just right. kind of you're, explained you're it to me. Basically, hyperventilating and like you know, without yeah, and I can't even speak to it to that because I'm not trained in it. But I, I, it is stimulating it intentionally. I know that you're conscious of not wanting to overstep onto other people's stuff, and I get that, but I'm a little focused on this for a reason, and I'm going to explain to you why I feel like this is important, and you're actually doing a real service to a lot of people. So here in South Florida, we kind of have the, what I call the Silicon Valley of drug rehab, right? And between substance abuse treatment centers and mental health treatment centers, there's a lot of amazing stuff going on here, like a, a lot of phenomenal practitioners. But within all of that, there are a lot of practices that are often sort of controversial. I'll explain what I mean. Whenever there's a new thing going on in psychotherapy or mental health, we usually see it here pretty early on. If it became fashionable in California, South Florida is going to get it next. And a lot of times these things become buzzwords. Like I heard about this or I heard about that. So I think with something like breath work and the fact that there are so many different types, which I don't think is common knowledge. I don't think it's something that everybody knows that there's so many different techniques and variations and that these things have to be taught and that in order to facilitate them, people have to be properly trained. And it's easy to convince yourself that we could crowbar in this advanced breathing technique into facilitating some kind of retreat and that will be okay for everybody because it's therapeutic it'll be cool we'll just you know crowbar it in with everything else that we're doing or the idea that because maybe i suffer anxiety i could go onto youtube and check out something like wim hof breathing myself and it'll probably be okay because people have told me it's therapeutic and even on the youtube videos it's very carefully explained what they're doing and they're very encouraging but you might not understand clearly what's happening and i don't know that these videos were intended for people who are struggling to overcome mental health issues so in bringing up that possibility you've actually really illuminated the cautionary parts of this in a way that i am sure people are unfamiliar with and i believe fully that there have been retreat type activities down here where some of these techniques were incorporated without the expectation of the participant understanding fully that these were possibilities i know people that it's happened to so I'm, now that you've explained it i'm thinking in my mind this is what happened I'm going to go back and explain this to this person because they had an experience that was pretty negative. They got out of it. But, they it, were okay. but it just may have left a really bad taste in their mouth in terms of, ooh, I don't, I don't think I want to do breath work when, in fact, it can be the modality that can truly, truly help. Or, or how about coming away from that thinking, 
if I had that experience here, there must be something really wrong with me. When your reaction to it is actually in a sense right. normal. It's a physiological and it does happen. You just need the right support there while it's happening. And if you're in a group with 20, 30, 40, 50 people, I mean, I've seen these with how how is, I just find that really interesting. How is that safe? Well, I think it's like anything else, Heather, when something is more new, and I know breathwork is not new, it's been around right, for a long, right. long time, but when something becomes fashionable, it becomes new to the general public. So we all want to consume. And it's one of those things where it may not have the organization at institutional level of who is qualified to do these things and who is not qualified or the idea that anyone would even need to be qualified, trained, certified, because there's no perception of there being danger right. to the public. So why would you even need to be certified? Why would I even need to go to certified Heather Berg, who's internationally certified to do the Bateco breathing? Maybe I could just learn it on YouTube. And this is a reason, you're giving us a reason to consider that's not really the best way to do this. And there are people out there who have trained for a long time to learn these techniques and these practices in a very specific way. And if you want to do these things and you want to do them correctly and you want the results that are promised, this is how you do that. You go to the correct person who's qualified to teach and that's going to be the safest experience you're going to have. And that's going to make sure that yeah, you learn the thing correctly. I agree with you. You said it. I know we didn't really have public service announcement in, in the right. program today, but sometimes things like this come up and I've explained before, I have an experience with this through other people and I thought it was worth mentioning because to this day, I've heard a lot about breath work, but I've never heard that part of it explained. This might be something other people just know, but I, I don't yeah. think so. Oh, well, good. Listen, my feeling is as long as someone can walk away learning one new thing, it's all good. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you have a very special and unique skill and teaching that you're sharing with the world in your space. And the whole podcast, really, the good counsel is about making available to people these alternative and different forms of healing, not just in psychotherapy, but other modalities as well. And that we live in this place, South Florida, where there just seems to be more of it. And I know this incredibly creative community of people that do therapy and hypnotherapy and yoga and breathing and all these other, you know, modalities of therapeutic activities. So the more that we can learn and offer to the public, the more people will come to know that these forms of healing are available to them, reducing suffering in the world right. and all this kind of stuff. So I think it's pretty cool that you were able to come here and share all this with people. Oh, good. And, you know, they're, like you said, they're so, I, I like to incorporate even, sometimes I'll let people know I am incorporating the Buteco breath work. And other times I will just say we're going to do some breath work exercises together. And 
because it doesn't matter. They don't, some people are not interested in the science behind it. Some people are and some people aren't, but they just want to feel good. So for example, I have these monthly events where I collaborate with um, uh, Kim Marone. She's an acupuncturist and she does acupuncture, the very, you know, just calming down regulation uh, um, acupuncture points. And I teach the Buteco breathing method. I talk about how it's down regulation. It's a great way to relax and calm our nervous system. And then uh, I guide everyone through a yoga nidra practice. Are you familiar with yoga nidra? Not so much, but I wanted to say this. I saw that on the uh-huh. letter that you sent. And if you wanted to speak specifically about where and when that is just to make that available to anyone who's listening to this that to come out i think that would be a really cool thing i do cool want thing. to make some things available like for example once a month i did one today and the next one is march 16th i do a free um guided meditation at swinton community garden like that one and but the one that um i'm talking about where i incorporate the buteco breathwork Kim Marone does the acupuncture, and then I guide everyone in a, no, a yoga nidra practice, which on the outside of someone was just watching and listening, it just looks like I'm guiding people through a guided meditation, but it's much more than that. I guide people through the different brain waves, and it's a really amazing down regulation. I mean, between the acupuncture the breath work in yoga nidra, you walk out of there feeling like a wet noodle and super that relaxed. Sounds amazing. And that one's, it's amazing. And that one is, um, I don't know if it will come, if this podcast will come out in time, but we do do this every, almost every month. But the next one is next week, February 11th. Oh, awesome. Well, that's yeah, really cool. I, everything that I do, especially, I mean, I feel like it's always been this way, but much more so probably over the past five to seven years, that how I teach my intention is really about bringing our nervous system back into balance and or down regulation. There are many yoga practitioners fabulous who really like to do the hardcore power yoga, all that. And listen, I used to do that. I used to love that. But I don't know, it just all of a sudden, my body wasn't liking it as much. And I like a slower yet strong practice. I like more teaching meditation, down regulation, breath work that's more down regulating, yoga nidra. Um, one, there's a teacher who I've studied with online. Um, her name is Tracy Stanley. And she says, I think it's Tracy Stanley who says this, that it's our birthright to be able to relax. You know, we have, we don't always have to push, 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 push. You know, it's our birthright to relax. That's so funny because you think about our whole culture of American work ethic. And the minute you say it's our birthright to relax, first thought I have is, no, I feel like it's a privilege. It is the first thing that came to mind. Like, what are you doing sitting around? Well, and that's so true. I mean, but here's the thing. It's that whole idea of putting our own oxygen mask on first. 
I mean, think about it. If you are so depleted, think of yourself. You had a really rough week and you had a busy weekend and then you come in the following week. You, How are you going to serve your patients if you are depleted? I'll tell you, I really learned the most about that in private practice because there's no like paid leave and there's no mandatory time off and you govern yourself. There's no human resources. There's no manager. There's no one to come say, hey, you're looking a little peaked these days. Maybe you might want to, you know, take a day off or something. There's no one who will come along and say that. So you kind of self-regulate what your needs are. And it's the kind of work where you can easily burn yourself out if you don't have some self-governance. So the idea of relaxation or setting limits for yourself and realizing like this is in best service of you as a human being and also in best service of the clients that you're working with for you to be rested and present and to take care of yourself that was really where I had to learn that the most because the fact that it wasn't structured into the setting because I there was no authority. What authority today? Tell, I, I don't know. Are there, are there actually, I mean, good for them if there are companies that say, you know what? You're looking a little tired. Take some time off. And if there are, man, that would be amazing. But I really feel that most people... Most people work through their lunches. You know, um, I think about kids in school today. How long is their lunch break? Seriously. And if you look at any other country, it's like a full hour or more. It's, you know, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down. But the last person that I interviewed, uh, Blake Cohen, really left a very strong uh kind of like a private practice that he was in to go back to school and sort of reset himself because his ideas sort of realigned about what he wanted to do. And he is investing heavily into workplace cultures, particularly in the behavioral health space, uh, the mental health treatment facilities, substance abuse treatment facilities, this big industry that we were talking about. Because ours, the uh, the treatment industries are notoriously the most pathological where people will just, it's a whole culture of burnout where it's almost like a badge of honor to be that person that works the 60 hour week, works through lunches, constantly doing stuff on call, you know, at night. And it's, it could become really, really unhealthy and just a drain. So this guy has uh, gone back for his doctoral degree to learn about industrial psychology so that he can formulate these trainings and compassionate leadership and all this to bring it into behavioral health, where really you figure it, it would exist first because it's almost hypocritical to operate systems like that when you're actually the product that you sell is right. wellness. It's kind of interesting. And you see that in uh, medical oh, as well. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. The nurses, the doctors, and especially we really saw it during COVID, they're overworked and they need it. I don't want a doctor operating on me who has been working 24 hours, you know? Yeah, it's so baked into that. Compensation is often structured around that. We, um, 
I had a family member in the hospital recently, was, been, was there in, in ICU for a few days. And so we spent a lot of time around doctors and nurses. And every time I would go see her, she would say, you know, make friends with a new nurse or something. And she would talk about, oh, this one lady was working through COVID and this and that and was doing all these, working all these hours. And they were paying her 10 grand a week as a nurse to work through COVID. So like the compensation, even though it's killing you stress-wise, I could see how a lot of people wouldn't have been able to walk away right. from that, you know, right. for the opportunity to make all that money right. over that period of time. But I'm curious about the emotional health of that person. I know. Like and there are a lot of people who left, you know, nursing and medicine because they got so burnt out. And people had huge mental health yeah. crises, especially those people in places like New York City and you know, yeah. bad news. So, Heather, th thank you so much. You shared so much with us. And I think we got a lot of really cool stuff from this. And I hope people will listen to this because I found all of your ideas and the stuff that you're doing to be really interesting. And the fact that you're right here in this area and available to train and teach people. Uh, these these various techniques and practices. It's a, a great service to the community. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you to do the one-on-one -on -one practice or attend your classes, what's the best way to get your information? The best way would be to, well, if those of you who are on social media, I'm more visible on Instagram and it's under Heather Berg, B-E-R-G, Heather. So it's at Heather Berg Yoga. And I'll post on the stories, different events. But actually, if you visit my website under the events page, I'll, I'll wait, that'll be up to date what I'm doing. So my website is Soul Garden Yoga, S-O-U-L Garden Yoga dot com. I'm, I am on, on Facebook, but not as much under Heather Marcus Berg. Marcus is my maiden name. And um, I'm always doing different events. I don't uh, have, I don't teach at a yoga studio or a gym weekly. I offer through FAU uh, School of Medicine, the Marcus, the Marcus Institute of Integrative Health. And even though it's Marcus and my na maiden name is Marcus, there's no relation there. But, but I teach, um, I often teach classes there and those are complimentary and I offer a lot of complimentary classes, different workshops. I have retreats, a lot of fun things coming up. And especially that Karita Smiles, if you want to hear more information about that, more service trips and how to take part in that, there's, there'll be info on my website on that as well. And people can request your... Oh, absolutely. Well. The, the newsletter. Yep. If you go onto my website on the homepage, and I believe if you scroll all the way down, you can fill out a little form just to receive the newsletter. And I promise you, I will not bombard you. Um, it, I, I probably should send it monthly, but I really send it probably every eight weeks ish, you know? No, it's really cool. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And I think hearing this if you're really if someone was really that interested you also have pictures from Karita's smiles and the retreat so you can probably get a little bit more of a mental picture of what's going on when you see the interactions and the photos and all that so i would recommend uh signing up for the letters because you're also giving out some information right, there right. As well. 
So, all right, Heather. Well, thank you so much for sharing thank all that you. with us. I think this was really cool. And um, yeah. Thanks so much. Soul Garden Yoga, Bye. everybody. Bye. <laughs>